0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. New provincial polling numbers. I saw these yesterday. And uh, quite a dip for the Ford government. So you ask sometimes, does it mean a lot does it mean a little? And to me, if 10's a lot and zero's nothing, it's about a four. I think it's noteworthy. I think it's noteworthy. David Coletto's great from Abacus Data. He was on the show last week. And he notes that the Ford Conservatives are down seven points since the end of July. Not the end of July last year, the end of July. Do you remember, like five weeks ago, like you're still, you still had stuff you wrote down. You're like, I got to do this before the end of July. And you didn't. And now it's September 6th. Yeah, that July. The numbers he has are really fascinating for me because I would have said there's not much in the last 12 months that I would have said stops the Ford government from maintaining another majority government like you just know when a government has the big mo momentum and they had it going into last June. like that's me as a forecaster we knew exactly what would happen we saw what was transpiring andrea horvath she had a chance in 2018 so she's out there last year for a fourth election it doesn't go very well the ndp lose seats they lose support in some key ridings did the liberals take that support and did the liberals grab their seats no, they didn't. Why? Still some hangover from the Kathleen win. Hey, we don't we'll, we'll take anybody but you now at this point post 20, uh, 2014. We'll take anybody but you. We want you gone, and we want anyone associated with you gone. Now, pandemic elections all over the world, you can look at democracies and look at all the G20 countries. It favored incumbents. And we could make the case we were out of the emergency phase, the danger of the pandemic last June. I sure felt that way. I bet you you did, too. Not everybody's universal on everything all the time ever. So let's just say that it was a post pandemic election, even still for Doug Ford to wallop the other parties. So you got Stephen Del Duca quitting that night. Andrea Horvath quitting that night going from 67 seats to 83 seats. He now has 82. He lost that one, obviously, um, in uh, the Merrilee Fullerton seat up near Ottawa. But the numbers that David Coletto put out yesterday, um, 34% for the Conservatives, 28 for the Liberals. They don't have a leader right now. They don't have a leader. People just are saying... I guess they're saying, I don't care who the leader is, I'll support that leader. And I got a lot more on that uh, in the show today. Trust me there. The NDP sits at 26%. Not bad. Not bad at all. They had dropped down to 21, as low as 21 post that election last year. Well, they're back up to 26. And what it means to me is, though we haven't seen it for some time, there is that potential. If you'd said to me a year ago, Greg, give me some sense. As to whether you think Doug Ford will be premier after the 2026 election, almost regardless of who the liberal leader is, I still would have said yes, because it's really hard. I I think the liberals have an opportunity to form the next government if they choose the right leader and the policy stays on track and some of the attention and some of them, again, the big mo, the momentum following the liberal party works, but they, they are coming too far from behind. You need 63 seats for a majority. They're not even close to, to that right now. They don't have 10. They don't have 10. They have nine seats. That's great. The NDP has 29. But I will tell you, could the conservatives slip from 81 to 62? Sure. Sure. People are ticked about the green belt. People that voted for Doug Ford once or twice and maybe even who plan to vote for him again. They may give him his vote, but they're ticked. Can I give you a case in point where that's been constantly happening at least the last election and maybe the election before federal liberals? they don't all love Justin Trudeau. They're not all wrapping their arms around him and giving him a giant hug saying, I love everything you do, everything you stand for, all the people around you, all the accountability your government takes. No, they're not. They're saying, I don't like the other guy. I don't like him. I'll stay with you, but I don't like him. They are settling. They are absolutely settling. Um, And Doug Ford's conservatives will have, like people who voted for Doug Ford and the progressive conservatives may indeed have that crisis of consciousness when it comes back around. So I don't want to over, I I wouldn't oversell you on a poll. I wouldn't say that in the least. But to me, here's my analogy. For the Ford government right now, this is like being mad that the supermodel you're dating or the star athlete or just overall awesome man or woman is that they were an hour late a couple of times to meet you for dinner. Right now, that's the green belt. Right now, that's the green belt. That could change if they're late again. That could change if suddenly you're spending less time with them. That would change if you see that star athlete walking with somebody else, that supermodel walking with somebody else. But when it comes to the Ford conservatives, last election, you didn't like the alternatives. You didn't trust the alternatives. And there is runway here for the conservatives to get back on track. And I've heard this from too many people yesterday that the green belt could go right back up for sale. Greg, how would they do that? Come on. Signatures have been made. Parcels of land have been bought. Developers are rubbing their fingers together going, I'm going to do this here and that there and all of it's going to happen. But when I say that, when I say that, please note that there's every possibility that the conservatives just say, and and yes, this could be uh, the proverbial crap show. It really could. But they'll pay the penalties. They'll pay the fees. And they'll. by the way, here's what they'll also do. They'll push all these MCOs in the GTA. They're going to put huge pressure on mayors. We've told you this on this show for a long, long time. Why does the provincial government want every mayor to have strong mayor powers to build housing? Why do they want Olivia Chow, Patrick Brown, uh, you, you name it. Why do they want all these mayors to have uh, municipal powers? So they can point to the mayors and go, they had the power and they didn't do it. They're not abdicating their responsibility, but they're certainly tightening the screws on the mayors. We've seen a provincial government, Toronto, the election, 48 seats to 25 back in 2018. eighteen. We've They were in office for, what, four months and they did that? We've seen a provincial government that does not hesitate to tighten the screws on municipalities. And by the way, the NIMBYs, the NIMBY mayors that push back, they're going to be faced with this. They're going to be faced with the government calling them out. And there's such an appetite to build housing that anybody who gets in the way, anybody who doesn't do their job, anybody who's not pulling their weight is going to draw the public ire. They're going to draw public criticism. So I think the government's going to pay penalties and fees. Here's the problem for the liberals and the NDP. I've said this before. It's more true right now than it was a week ago. And it's way more true than it was a month ago. The opposition should be panicked that the green boat goes back up for sale. Why? Then it's a government being accountable. If you give Marit Stiles, if you give John Fraser, if you give Mike Schreiner, who was on our show yesterday, you give them everything they asked for in terms of accountability. Where's there to go? Where is there to go? Not many places. And by the way, it is beyond frustrating That we're talking Greenbelt, 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 housing, housing, housing. And you just heard Dave Bradley mention in the news this massive story about global on global news from uh, Isaac Callen and and, uh, Colin DeMello that our hospitals are decrepit, that our hospitals aren't exactly first world anymore, that our hospitals need so much work. It's a huge, huge problem. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right. I want to bring on uh, MP for the federal government right now. He's also a candidate in the Ontario Liberal Leadership race. He is Yasser Nakfi and he rejoins us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back. I hope you've had a good summer, but I also know probably a summer unlike any other. You've been busy trying to get people signed up, trying to uh, spread your word as to why you're the right choice for this province.
1: Well, good morning, Greg, and it's been a great summer. I've been crisscrossing this beautiful province uh, in every four corners, and I've had the opportunity to meet some really, really amazing people who are really concerned about their future. They really are struggling in many respects when it comes to their healthcare, their children's education, or young people who are struggling to make ends meet uh, in these very anxious times.
0: Now, I know people come to you, and, and I, I would guess they come to Nate Erskine-Smith as well. You're two federal MPs in the Trudeau government in this particular race. And though, uh, again, it, you know the, the concept of a government is let's bring unique, diverse opinions together and let's govern as best we can. Do people come at you and say, I wish the Trudeau government would do this? I would th- wish they would do that. What do they say and how do you balance that?
1: Yeah, people are talking about a lot of issues. Some are within the uh, federal scope, and, and a lot of the issues that I'm hearing are exclusively within uh, provincial responsibility uh, that Doug Ford has uh, dropped the ball on. But yeah, people are concerned about cost of living. That's a one big issue that comes up, uh, both in terms of uh, affordability of life, but also affordability of uh, uh, home ownership or renting of home, which, as we know, are responsibilities. Uh, perhaps of all three orders of government, and they need to to, do, to work together in order to do so. But one of the other big issues, Greg, I continue mm. to hear about is healthcare. care. Um, people, families are struggling to find family doctors and nurses across this province. There's over 2.5 million Ontarians, and that number is rising every single day, who do not have access to family doctors. They're really concerned about their health, and they're not seeing any relief inside by Ford government to make the health care better. Uh, not to mention when they go to emergency rooms, they're waiting for 20 hours at a time. If they live in smaller communities in rural Ontario, right. the emergency rooms are closed. That's a real strain on people's health, but they also they're... Uh, because if you're waiting for 20 hours in an emergency room, that means you've missed two days of work.
2: No,
0: I'm glad you said that, uh, yes, yeah, sir. And I'll tell you, the only problem I find uh, with uh, I won't I won't call out my own industry or in what we do on our show, but the only problem with giving so much oxygen to housing, which is really important, and the greenbelt scandal, because that's important also, is like the Ford government's skating on healthcare right now. They are skating on abdicating responsibility. You can't find Sylvia Jones with a compass and a sundial right now, and our hospitals are in crisis. I I don't know where she was all summer, but I don't know where she was in the spring and winter either. That's a big problem.
1: That is a big problem. And it's, it's, it it is at a crisis point. Uh, I've spoken to uh, everyday folks. I was just speaking to some family doctors who are just on the brink of tears because they just do not have enough uh, time to deal with the kind of people who are coming to them uh, for help. Um, um, Emergency uh, uh, the hospital executives who are just essentially using duct tape. I mean, Greg, think about this for a moment. We're Ontario. We live in a G7 uh, country, and last fall, the children's hospital here in Ottawa area that serves all of eastern Ontario had to call in the Red Cross for help. You know, that I've never thought I would ever see this. That's on Doug Ford. He has been. Am missing in action when it comes to mm. solving some really important issues that relates to people like getting more doctors and nurses so that they can keep themselves healthy? Uh,
0: I want to ask you about Bonnie Crombie. She's in a photo that was released yesterday uh, by a media member with the so-called Mr. X, who used to be the mayor of the town of Clarington. This is what I hear. You tell me if I'm hearing this from the ground and whether you hear this from constituents and, and potential liberal voters as well is that Bonnie's well-known and she's popular in Mississauga, but there's too many ties to developers. There's too many ties to some of the same developers financially backed by the land speculators as Doug Ford. Is this an issue? Is this a problem, Uh, do you think, in your mind for the party?
1: Well, we need a leader who's unencumbered and who can uh, effectively prosecute Doug Ford for all his failings. I think the Greenbelt giveaway is is something that I've been calling for a police investigation from, from the moment. Uh, this issue came up and the Auditor General's report uh, came out and now the Integrity Commissioner's report. Uh, we really need to get the police come in and look at what happened and if anybody benefited uh, from those transactions or not. And we need an Ontario Liberal leader who who is able to stand firm and prosecute and ask these tough Uh, Questions. Uh, One of the things I keep hearing in this campaign, and I think from Ontarios uh, broadly, is they don't want same old politics anymore. They want somebody who can relate to them, somebody who's had the similar struggles as they did, as they built their lives. And I'm somebody like that. I came to this country at age 15, uh, hardly spoke any English. My parents were professionals, but they couldn't practice law, so they bought a motel in Niagara Falls, Ontario. We all worked together Mm -hmm. to. Clean our rooms and, and build our new life here in, in Canada. Um, you know, I don't come with any uh, ties with uh, big developers. We, we need a strong leader, an experienced leader who can relate to people. Um, and there's some really, uh, some doubts about uh, at least one particular candidate in this race.
0: So how much of a concern is that? I I don't know if you've seen the photo. She's at a Raptors game uh, with the former mayor of of Clarington. There'd be clarification needed as to who paid for the tickets. Let's face it. If you're there at the Raptors game with the so-called Mr. X, your phone's blowing up this morning. Who paid for the tickets? When was this? What's the relationship? You know that'd be true, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't know the specifics of this photo or their relationship, but I do know that this is the kind of thing that makes people assume that politicians are all the same. Um, some people are really good at putting themselves in, in the photo, but regardless, it's not helpful. This isn't this is the way that uh, a, a politicians uh, should conduct themselves, and certainly I do not conduct my, uh, myself in that manner, and I know my relationships, and I know who my donors are, and people like Mr. X Arndt are not uh, among them.
0: Yeah, sir. Thank you so much for the time. I'm fresh out of it, but I want to have longer conversations. I know you and the other candidates in a rush to get members signed up by September 11th. I just know there's energy and momentum and discussion and and value behind uh, the momentum behind the party right now. Um, So I appreciate you coming on. I know we'll talk uh, a couple more times after September 11th for sure. Thank you for this this morning
1: looking forward to it this
0: is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk Six forty, toronto brad bradford in a second toronto city councilor a special council meeting today where they're looking for money but we talked about this yesterday as well with Councilor jamal myers now jamal myers ttc chair i think he's going to do a real good job there i think there's some impressive things but i brought up near the end of our chat that the Toronto CEO for the Toronto Zoo got a 20% raise because he's doing a good job. And I don't mind. People should get raises when they do good jobs. CEOs are going to be costly, of course. And is he paid like CEOs of other zoos? Absolutely. But listen to this exchange here. Again, this is not, this is not me slamming. Jamal, I'm just making the point that if you're going to spend this money, we need to find the money you're giving Dolph De Jong, CEO of Toronto Zoo, you need to find it from somewhere else instead of just taking it from us. Here's our talk about it.
3: Well, I mean, if you actually read the article, uh, the headlines are a bit misleading because if you actually read the article, you know, I think it's very clear that the, the, the zoo, the zoo board at least, is very, very happy with the CEO. The CEO didn't advocate for this raise. Um, attendance is up 11% over the budgeted figures. Memberships are strong. The zoo is doing really, really well. And when we actually compared the CEO's pay to other zoos like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, um, he was underpaid. And even with the raise, he's still underpaid.
0: But or someone at- might say Cincinnati doesn't have a billion dollar deficit or Pittsburgh doesn't have a billion dollar municipal deficit right now. They might say that.
3: That's true. But you also have to take into account that you want to retain talent. Yeah. There's nothing stopping the CEO from the zoo from saying, you know what, I'm going to take this job in Cincinnati because we have a billion dollar deficit. If we have a CEO that's effectively performing that year over year is beating his expectations. I think everyone been, who's been to the zoo can say, you know, there's some real good changes happening there.
0: OK, yeah. Th- things are going great at the zoo. I understand. And you want to keep good people in good positions. I got all that. Again, I I, I got no issue with Jamal saying that I, d- I should have. You know, I-, I think in retrospect, if I were to rewind the clock back. I'd say explain how the headline doesn't explain the article. Sometimes that's the case, but I think the article spells out pretty clearly. The guy got a 20% raise. And right now, right now in the city of Toronto, there's really tough financial times some people can't afford to live in the city. Some people can't afford to feed their families. And a CEO is getting a 20% raise. And I'm telling you again, the federal and provincial governments look at a story like that. It's, it's, not, it's not everything, but it's not nothing. They look at a story like that and they say, until Toronto starts looking for inefficiencies and figuring out how to save themselves money, we're not bailing them out. They can afford to pay a zoo CEO, you know, like an extra 50 grand a year and maybe more to come, then how how does that look like a city um, where it's it's desperate times and desperate measures? I think that's fair. I think that's fair that they think that. And I know they think that because I hear from those people. All right. Our next guest ran for mayor over the summer, Toronto City Councilor for Beaches East York. And we like having him on to get to the stuff. Brad Bradford joins us right now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back on. Thanks for the time. Great to be here, man. When I lay that out for you, how does that land for you, um, the pay for the Toronto Zoo CEO? Again, I'd, lay, I'd make the case you want to keep good people in good positions. Chief executive officers don't come cheap. They're not going to get paid minimum wage. But somebody might look at that and say, find that money from somewhere else if you want to give him that raise. I think that's
4: right, Greg. I think it comes across as a little tone deaf given the financial challenges facing the city right now. And, you know, we're going to spend a good part of today going through that. You've got a long-term financial plan, 25 pages, and it is all about different tax increases, boutique taxes that uh, that we are going to thrust upon the people of Toronto. And uh, there's not a single paragraph there about cost control measures and how we would manage the, uh, the expenditure side of our budget. And so when people hear stories like that, uh, and then when they hear councillors are defending it, I think it comes across as a little tone deaf. And I remind folks that, you know, we're still going to need to subsidize the Toronto Zoo to the tune of $14 million next year. So uh, the CEO is doing a great job. Uh, he has increased attendance, uh, a lot of the metrics mm-hmm. coming out of the pandemic. There's a lot of good stuff going on there. But the reality is there is still the need for a $14 million subsidy. And it just sends the wrong message to the hardworking people of Toronto uh, when when you're getting a 20% increase at a time of uh, dire financial straits for the city.
0: Does the city also, someone writes that the city subsidizes the CN Tower and Ripley's Aquarium. Do they or are they, is Ripley's a completely private entity, Brad?
4: I gotta be honest. I uh, I am not aware that we subsidize yeah. Ripley's Aquarium,
0: what Sea and Tower? Like who who covers that those costs? I don't think so. I think that's all done privately. That's not coming from the
4: City of Toronto, as far as I'm aware. I gotcha. But, I, but, I, but hey, I'll, I'll I'll say if we are, then that would be something that we should be looking at because uh, that's that's not the role of local government. And you know what? That's a that's a bigger theme that I want to touch on today in Council. Is we really need to get back to the core of municipal services. And I think a lot of people out there listening right now have seen a degradation and a deterioration of our parks, of our roads, of sidewalk clearing in the wintertime. Uh, you know, we have to get better at doing the basics. And that might mean we have to stop uh, stop doing all the other things that have been thrust upon local governments across the province through successive years of downloading. and And, you know, the province and the federal mm-hmm. government throwing these sort of responsibilities at the, at the feet of municipalities, but we can't do that anymore. So what's missing on the long-term financial plan in front of council today is the consideration of a core service review. The last one that was done was back in 2012, and I would, I would humbly suggest that a lot has changed in terms of the financial circumstances at the City of Toronto, uh, you know, more than a decade on. And we're not having a conversation about what are the core services the city of Toronto is best positioned to deliver. And what are the things that we've been doing lately? Because we haven't had the backbone to say no uh, to special interest groups.
0: When you say so, that, that's, that's 2012. That's two years to be honest of, of the late Rob Ford. That's eight years of John Tory. How was there not a review of core services over a decade in the city? That's a good question.
4: And <laughs> you know, it's one that I will be asking at as council today uh, we 've got a one point five billion dollar anticipated operating budget gap in two thousand twenty four we 've got nearly thirty million dollars uh, sorry thirty billion dollars in unfunded capital needs over the next ten years. Why is that the case? Part of it is revenue and there's a lot of counselors here that want to focus on the revenue side of the equation, which means more taxes. but we also have to have that responsible and thoughtful conversation about how we manage The expenditure side. And it's no different than your budget at home or the people who are listening this morning. You've got two sides of the ledger. There is the revenue side and the expenditure side. And we as a council owe it to Torontonians and taxpayers to look at both of those things.
0: Two more questions for you. One, um, you were quite vocal during the campaign, as you should have been uh, to say what your concern was with the current mayor would have been about taxes and not finding inefficiencies to match up with taxes. You were worried she was coming to the public and asking for more while the city itself wasn't willing, as we're just talking about, to look inward and find out where they're spending too much. What's your analysis so far? What advice would you give Mayor Chow about where to look for for duplicate spending or where to look to cut?
4: Well, you know what? I I want to be clear. Mayor Chow and I have had a lot of constructive conversations, primarily on the housing file, uh, Mm -hmm. where we have shared values and interests in expediting housing. Um, But again, this report in front of us is really 25 pages about how we can raise taxes. And they're different taxes. One is a, a parking levy. One is the idea of a sales tax here in the city of Toronto, which I would humbly suggest is one of the most regressive forms of taxation, because, you know, the guy making 15 bucks an hour and the, you know, the person who makes $100,000 a year, they're paying that same tax on every single purchase. And, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's a way to grow our economy or improve affordability. They're also looking at increasing the municipal land transfer tax. So all of us are very concerned, uh, you know, with the housing file, how we improve access to home ownership. That's going to make it more expensive. So these are all the taxes that, you know, council will be discussing. And, and you know, I, I think in the most expensive city in the country, we should be looking to reduce people's uh, cost of living here, not make it worse. Right. So Ernst e- EY did a report. There's a lot of good recommendations in there, things that we can look at. You know, we currently operate 10 long-term care homes here in the city of Toronto. We are legislatively required to operate one. They are very expensive. Do we need a new arrangement with the province and the federal government to help pay for the cost of delivering those services, which they rely on from the City of Toronto? You know, Uh, the transit system, we subsidize that by a billion dollars a year, a billion dollars in subsidy from taxpayers here in the City of Toronto. And yet, The city represents 54 percent of the provincial GDP and 20 percent of the GDP in our economy, and everybody knows out there how much of a nightmare it is to get around Toronto. So they need to come to the table on on the operating side, and then the core services review that I'm proposing today, Greg, that is going to give us the details on what we can do on the city side to find efficiencies and ask those questions about are we really best positioned to be delivering these services. Or is that not something for the city of Toronto to do anymore? I
0: only got a very tight 45 seconds. I know you want to do something as well for first time home buyers. You want something to be progressive, not regressive, because let's face it, cost of living, cost of getting into the housing market has changed. What do you propose for that?
4: I'm fighting for families out there who want to have access to home ownership. Last year, 50,000 people left the city of Toronto to find more affordable places to live in Ontario the first-time home buyers rebate has been set at $400,000 since 2008. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of properties trading in Toronto for $400,000. I want to increase that to the average price of a condo unit here in the city, $750,000. And, you know, at the same time, property values have increased three times over that period and city council has done nothing let's make it easier for families for those first time home buyers to access housing here in the city of toronto it's something we can do immediately to help the middle class rather than raising their taxes yeah. and making it more expensive
0: i wish you well with that and and going forward today let's catch up next week about all these issues they're massively important issues and we got to talk about them more i appreciate you coming on today See you again on Toronto Tech. Thanks. All right. Brad Bradford joining us on Toronto Today. He just plugged the show. Thanks for that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The TMU soccer team um, is suspended. They uh, have reports of concerning behavior. That was the statement released from Toronto Metropolitan University. Two things. The team was supposed to be really good. Uh, and this is the only suspension of its kind, and maybe a third thing, we know very little about why the team was suspended. Joining us uh, on the line, uh, reporter for the eyeopener.com, uh, and that's uh, TMU's student newspaper, is Ilyas Hussein, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. Ilyas, thanks so much for the time, and by the way, um, I love that you want to be in sports journalism. I love that you that sports is your passion. I was I was you once, and I thank you for coming on. I appreciate you doing this.
5: Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, Do we know any more about this story than what you wrote two days ago? And and, and are you starting to collect information? But I know how this works. You can't quite put something down on paper because it's sort of still coming together and you need to get things confirmed.
5: Uh, Right now, the most that we know is kind of out there at the moment. Um, but from what I can tell you, to so like break it down the situation from the beginning, it, it kind of stemmed from late Friday night, early Saturday morning uh, when the reports of a forfeit were coming this weekend, which obviously raised a lot of eyebrows because two weeks ago we interviewed the team uh, for the eye opener and they were talking about how this road trip, this opening road trip was incredibly important for them. And they came in on Friday night and both of the games were about to be forfeited. Uh, early Saturday morning, those are both forfeited to Ontario University Athletics. Uh, looked into the situation. Uh, we got a statement from the university on Saturday, and they told us that both games will be forfeited, and if there was any further changes, they'll let us know. Um, then around Saturday afternoon, I would say, um, there was a report made uh, by Ben Steiner um, saying that the the forfeits were related to a hazing incident Uh, we immediately looked into the situation um, asked the university for a comment Um, they didn't get back to us until monday um, when they announced that um the team was going to be also team activities were going to be suspended they did not confirm any allegations of hazing they did not really uh confirm any details around the report as well just saying it was a report of Hmm. serious and concerning behavior that's pretty much all we know the investigation is open right now and they are not. They said they're not going to be able to comment until the investigation is over. Just how these things go at the moment. So that's pretty much all we know at, the, at this exact time. All this other yeah. information that, that is out there is kind of just speculation.
0: Uh, Ilya Hussein is our guest. Uh, the eyeopener.com is where you can go to read his work and uh, the rest of the uh, of the student newspaper there. So just to put a timeline together for our audience you and I can work together on this as fellow journalists they're in they're in Sudbury on Friday night I would assume staying over uh because they're supposed to play Laurentian Saturday afternoon they don't play that game they were going to move on and play at Nipissing at North Bay on Sunday can't I deduce that they if something happened Friday night it didn't happen in Toronto and it sure didn't happen at the TMU campus because they're already gone and they're probably in Sudbury Friday night aren't they
5: um, well, we're not even sure if they made the road trip. Is okay. The thing. So we don't even know if uh, if it was something that happened on a road trip or if it was something that happened back here in Toronto. We don't even know if they made the road trip. Um, since the uh, forfeits report came out late Friday night, um, it's unsure if that was something that happened prior to, like in the week b- before that or like in that same day or in that same week so we don't really know when this happened is, a, is another thing that's there's no con- confirmation on when this happened uh, as of yet um we don't know any details really so i i don't even know if they even made the road trip yeah that's so in- that's so
0: interesting because i'm thinking about how things operate and, and thinking they wouldn't drive up to sudbury for that for a game day i wouldn't think that they would um but you know, you might do it to go to Guelph, you might do it to go play Laurier, but but if you're taking that trip to Sudbury, you've probably left the night before, so that's really interesting you say that. And we don't have any sense, like to me, um, everybody should want, the school, the coach, the teammates should want an expedited investigation. We don't have a clue if they'll play Saturday's game at home against Nipissing, do we?
5: No, uh, we don't know how long this investigation is, is going to take, like... The soccer season is very different than any other sporting season in youth sports, right? Because all the other seasons run from October to March. Well, soccer runs from September to November. It's incredibly short, two Mm -hmm. months only, right? So this investigation could take two weeks. This investigation could take two months. The whole season might be, you know... Just like that. Or they can come back this weekend and play. We don't know. Um, It's kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, It's it's something that's happened before, not this exact situation. Um, In 2017, uh, TMU, then Ryerson, uh, had to forfeit the first six matches of their season. Um, They were still able to play after that, and they made the OUA Final Four. They were still almost a game away from making the national tournament after forfeiting six matches so who knows how this is going to affect their season and also affect the rest of the teams in their conference in their division because like you said uh, uh, off the jump this team was supposed to be really good um mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really matter about the situation uh because you know even if this team was the worst team in the league coming into the season you now this is still an awful situation that is developing but still it, it they were supposed to be really good they had a high expectation so who knows what's going to happen uh, for the rest of their season.
0: I bet you when you got into uh sports journalism, you weren't expecting such a, a mammoth story. How much of this uh, day and night has this taken up for you this week?
5: Uh, it's been a lot. I definitely did not expect this. This is uh, to give more context about me. Like this is kind of my first couple of weeks on the job Yeah, and this, this kind of all, me. it's been a whirlwind. I remember, uh, like this weekend it was kind of a little bit overwhelming for how much things and how much things i was hearing and uh how mm-hmm. big of a story i knew as soon as uh we were on it uh it was a big story and it, it came out to be that so definitely did not expect to be breaking such a massive mm-hmm. thing um as such i'm 20 so this is at such a young age for me so uh, it's pretty crazy. But that's I
0: know funny. I know a lot of people in the TMU community and though you know it's a really busy time of year and everybody's in their own lane, new classes for professors, new classes for students, I bet you a ton of people are talking about this. And again, that that to me is why, to me, Elias, that's why the school should move quickly on this. Like, reduce the speculation because everybody's under this hazy cloud right now.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody would want an yeah. extended investigation. I'm sure the players want it, the Uh, The school itself, the coach, the the fans, everybody kind of wants an expedited investigation so that we can get the full details immediately, um, make sure that we have all the information available to us. um, And hopefully all that investigation is made public. Um, They haven't commented on that either if they're going to make the investigation public, the findings of the public either. So we all that's what we all want. But it's hard to say right now.
0: Yeah. Elias Hussein uh, joining us. You can read his work at the com. Hey, good luck. Let's stay in touch. If you need anything from me, please feel free to reach out. You did me a favor today. I'm happy to do one for you and let's stay in touch on this story. Congratulations on uh, on on uh, uncovering it and doing the great job you have so far.
5: Thank you, Greg. Appreciate you having me on. I remember as a kid I'll be listening to you on the radio, so this is kind of a moment for me. So, uh, thank you.
0: Oh, I appreciate that, brother. Thanks again. We'll uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Steve Pakin joins me now, host of the Agenda on TVO. I know he likes this race. He's interested in this. He's got his popcorn and we got to get this guy back on the air as well as the other 75 TVO journalists. Um, This this race, the Greenbelt thing, this is your bread and butter and we're missing your content right now
2: oh greg greg <laughs> you're, you're you're making me so jealous now i can 't tell you how upset you just made me. I was getting all... Uh, there, there's I'm a chair you.
0: here right next to me right next to me every morning at five thirty and it 's empty and and sometimes it's empty even when it uh when I miss a red light or two sometimes it's empty at five thirty if you know what i'm Don't saying have me. so Don't yeah
2: have me. I might just show up and just keep you company i got uh you know unfortunately, what are we now? is this uh, You lose track of time. Are are we Wednesday here? Correct. It's the the, All right. So we're Wednesday, which means yesterday should have been day one of season 18 of the agenda. And unfortunately, uh, there were repeats put on the air. And I'm sad about that because I and about 73 other people I know really wish we were back in the building and uh, doing shows and writing columns and doing podcasts and all that other good stuff that we love to do. But unfortunately, we're not.
0: Do you buy that? Does this liberal race have a lot of steam? Uh, does it have some controversy? Does it have that sort of uh, drama factor that the last, one, the last one felt just dry as toast? Uh, that's not a comment on Stephen Del Duca. That's a comment more on the race. But this one's got some energy and obviously some momentum for the party.
2: I totally share that view. Uh, the last one was over in one ballot, and it wasn't close. And there was a predestined notion that Stephen Del Duca had such a big lead that no one was going to chip into that, and nobody did. Uh, this race uh, is, um, you know, to be sure, Bonnie Crombie's the front runner. She seems to have the the most money raised, the uh, the most attention got, uh, the most um, uh, she would suggest uh, new people signed up in order to vote mm-hmm. for her. But uh, holy smokes, the other candidates are going to make her work for it, aren't they? And you're seeing that already.
0: Do you think she thought it'd be easier than it so far has been? And subsequent to that, Steve. I've had too many people say because of ranked balloting, I mean, uh, I'm going to bring up a name. People will absolutely forget that this happened. Maxine Bernier was ahead of Andrew Scheer on the first ballot um, when the replacement race was out there for Stephen Harper. And Peter McKay was ahead of Aaron O'Toole after the first ballot when they did it again. Is is I think the first ballot, some people are telling me, is pretty essential for Bonnie to win on or this is going to get really dicey for her.
2: Uh, You never know. Look, you you really never know about these things. Uh, Obviously, it's more important to be first on the last ballot and not the first ballot. So (laughs) unless you're going to win it on the first ballot, it it isn't necessarily uh, uh, as important as being first on the last ballot, to be sure. But this race is going to heat up. Look, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I think September we're getting close to it. I think it's September 11th, which is the last day that people are allowed to join the Liberal Party, which I think is free now. If you want to participate in the leadership, it's free to join. And uh, and people can help uh, choose the next leader of the Liberal Party. And who knows, depending and, you know, I'm not making a, uh, an editorial comment here, but obviously this hasn't been the best last couple of months for the current government of Ontario and a week in is a lifetime in politics, as the old expression goes. So who knows what could go on in the next couple of years? We're a long way till the next election.
0: I thought about this. I thought about exactly what you said. We're probably 32, 33 months away from the next election. And the people, whether they came out or not, voted rather resoundingly um, and Doug Ford, against many odds during the pandemic. A lot of issues, a lot of a lot of things happened, increased his majority and increased it healthily. And I think he had a really good run of popularity until the word comes up. And that's Greenbelt. Is this can this thing alone be the difference be the difference in the next year or so between a popular government and a and a not popular one?
2: Well, it can be. And the reason it can be is because this issue is really easy to understand. There's mm-hmm. a whole lot of other issues that could have chipped away at Doug Ford's popularity, but didn't because after all, how much time do people spend thinking about election expenses or campaign finance or that kind of thing? Uh, probably not all that much, but the notion that developers got special access to people behind the scenes which uh, enabled them to realize an $8.3 billion windfall. That one's pretty easy to understand, Greg. And as a result, this is the kind of stuff that absolutely chips away at the Premier's brand, which is, I look out for the little guy. There's not a lot of looking out for the little guy uh, as it relates to this story, that's for sure.
0: All right. Let's talk about your scenario. Uh, TVO, we want to see the agenda back. We want to see uh, people back and and your local programming. Um, Are you are you feeling confident there can be progress again? Here's the problem. We've got a provincial government that kind of handles your negotiations and and they're a touch distracted right now.
2: Well, I don't know if that's true. Uh, I Mm -hmm. really don't know, because uh, at the moment there are no talks and there are no talks planned. Uh, The government of Ontario has said, and we're under the Ministry of Education, so Stephen Lecce is the minister, and they have made it, uh, well, they have said, we're not involved in the negotiations. This is between TBO's management and the people who work there. And technically speaking, that's right. What I can't tell you is whether or not the people who are operating on behalf of management are taking marching orders from Queen's Park, or whether they have made the decisions they're making on their own. I just don't know. I'm not at the bargaining table. I would love to see this thing get resolved. I know we all want to go back to work, uh, but I also know that the people I work with, Greg, who have seen their real wages decline by 15 percent over the last decade because they've taken zeros and ones and they just feel they can't do it anymore. I feel for them and um, I understand why they've drawn this line in the sand and why and why they're off the job. So I, I would love to say that everybody should put some water in their wine and let's get some cooler heads prevailing. But I don't mind saying that at the moment, I'm rather pessimistic about that because I don't see that happening.
0: Yeah, I hope that changes. And so many people from your show, uh, TVO, have reached out to us and said, thank you for the coverage. Thank you for being balanced about the process here and uh, anything I can do to, to expedite that process and get good people back to work. I'm happy to do. I'm out of time, but let's let's definitely do this again. Steve, I really appreciate you coming on.
2: You want me to show up at 530 tomorrow and keep
0: <laughs> instead of me or with me? Those are oh, those are two different issues, sense. according to the listener, I it's think.
2: Definitely not. Instead I don't
0: know. Oh, just to keep your company. I'll have I'll have the Brady people call the Paken people. That's that's uh, on, on a landline. That's uh, uh-huh. we'll go old school about that. Thank you for the time. Great to be with you. Uh, Steve Paken joining us from TVO.